0: Hey listeners, there is no ad this week, so this is an unsolicited plug for two things that have come out by Friends of the Shows and Friends of Ours. Michelle Balloon has a new album out, I highly recommend you check it out, and also Sarah Schaefer, who was on the show back in the day in the Bluebell Mansion era, uh, has a book that has just dropped. It's an autobiographical book, I highly recommend you check that out as well. So that's Sarah Schaefer's book and Michelle Balloon's album, we'll put links to both of those in the show notes.
1: Hello and welcome to Probably Science. My name is Andy Wood.
0: I'm Matt Kirshen. How's it going?
1: It's going well. I like how you referred to the old house as a bluebell mansion because it, it is a mansion now. So does that mean retroactively I can say I lived in a mansion if it was yeah,
0: I, I think so. added you to li-
1: after the fact? You lived
0: in a multi-million mansion. I'll introduce our guest so she could join this part of the okay. conversation. Yes, this is a comedian, writer, director,
1: always an adorable
0: human, <laughs> all around wonderful person. It's Lynn Ferguson. Hey, Lynn. Hello.
2: I am loving hanging out with you sciencey people. I'll tell you that for nothing. Uh, uh,
0: well, but I've, never your lived,
2: I've never lived in a mansion, though, so I feel a little
0: strange. Well, a- Andy lives in a. Re- retroactive mansion or lived, lived in yeah. he lived in a house that was subsequently flipped and my it was flipped
2: mansionized yeah what flipped like the playboy mansion that sort of mansion
1: i mean they turned it into a was it six thousand square feet after the renovation i don't know it, it, it turned into a very fancy place because uh, it, it was, was on,
0: on. it was on quite a large plot and just to give you an idea of what the what they did what used to be the house is now the pool house.
1: Oh, right. Wow. Right.
0: And um, so that's just like the extra guest house is what used to be the house. But-
2: so, can you move into the pool house then, Andy? Could you just say to them, look, I mean, this used to be my house. Can I move in?
1: Take I. I forgot if we've actually talked about that. Well, it turns out I do know indirectly. Or I I know the person who who bought it, uh, who who lives there now, but um haven't had the nerve to actually go uh, <laughs> knock on the door and be like, "Hey, I'm just curious what this place looks like now." But uh, it's it like, was, it's funny. It's it's a listener pointed out who it was and it's, uh, it's a it's pretty pretty famous person actually.
0: Well, pretty famous, <laughs> pretty famous yeah. in the comedy world.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Man. I mean, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh anyway, no, uh, I hate to make it cryptic, but I think it'd be weird if we did actually.
0: <laughs> yeah, because we we spoke enough about where the house is and what the deal is, and set, post enough pictures, and I, it's kind of also. I think definitely nowadays, knocking on that door just to have a look around is not okay. Yeah, no, knocking oh, on. Oh no, I
1: mean doing. for other reasons. Yeah yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. you're no longer allowed to just poke around someone's house. It's now a, I think it's an act of war if you do that these days.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's I mean that that was already a bygone era, but like imagine in the post-Covid world, anybody ever showing up at your house unannounced. That's uh, terrifying.
2: Yep. Hey, you know what happened to me yesterday? It has to be that like, it's a proper quality, upper-class, can't-believe-I'm-Scottish problem, right? But yesterday, right, long story, I got myself a fountain on Craigslist and by fountain I mean a big stone thing that sits in my front yard. And I know that's pretentious, but I've got a bit of pretension in me. And I was like, hey, <laughs> it's 2nd and it's a lovely fountain. So it was in my front yard, and I was talking to someone on the phone and looking out onto my lovely fountain, which is very relaxing and zen. And someone, this guy, had come along, come into my front yard, turned off the fountain, and was washing himself in my no. fountain. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so there you go. No. Quality problem, because I didn't know whether I could go out and complain about it, because technically, the the phrase, stop washing yourself in my fountain, is so pretentious, <laughs> that you can't possibly have a complaint. That in, you can't call anybody and say, someone's doing bad things in my yeah. fountain. <laughs> yeah, <so laughs> that's what happened yesterday to me. It's a surreal world, people. Yeah.
1: You're using my decorative water for a functional purpose.
0: Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this, this is purely aesthetic. <laughs> the thing
2: is, I really like the fountain because, like, birds and bees, right? Not even in the song way, but bees come and they have a little drink from the fountain. Birds, they bathe in the fountain. Like, today, there was like a baby hawk just sitting, like, chilling its feathers in the fountain wow and, uh, yeah isn't that nice but it's then really cool. it's not so nice when it's a human i don't know what that is what is that <laughs> where you're like no humans in my fountain only bees birds and things of that shit.
1: yep oh, yeah i want fauna up 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 and up and to the uh, weight limit of like 75 pounds and less
2: right yeah, yeah. that was a weird thing anyway sorry for derailing you but i just no, no, wanted no. to, to know where i'm at mentally and emotionally <laughs>
1: no one's i do not plan on knocking on your door or bathing in your front
2: good bathroom. then we can be friends see. we can be friends
1: yeah i've got some desert uh visitors to my I'm living in joshua tree have oh, wow. been for the whole quarantine and um anytime you have any standing water every animal comes out of the woodwork to try to get some so i have this stock this you know corrugated or i guess galvanized steel stock tank that i'm using as a poor man's hot tub except it's not hot in the backyard and um yeah, rabbits will come and try to, like, drink any runoff from it. And the first day there was water in it, a bird died in it. I had to throw that out.
2: Oh, that's, that's, um, that.
1: <laughs> I don't feel so bad about my fountain now. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> right now it's going fine. I got a little cover for it. It's Everything's good. But, um, yeah, my house has become a little oasis for various animals. There's a bird I'm staring at right now outside my front window who's sitting on four eggs and has been for, I think, over a month, which I would have thought, I don't know how long... I think that's a dove. I don't know how long dove eggs take to hatch, but... Are they not just stones? <laughs> you know what? That's a very It's possible. Right. In 2020, anything's... Yeah. Oh, right. I know, right? It's,
0: yeah, easily is easily mixed up. well also our chicken escaped
2: today as well and pecked the next door neighbour so that's what kind of couple of days we've
0: had what are the rules on that it's not like with your dog bites the next door neighbour where there's like serious repercussions right you're not going to have to have like a visit from animal control and (laughs) like one more pecking and that chicken's a garner
2: well, we promised them some eggs when they happened, despite the fact that the chicken that pecked them is definitely a baby rooster. <laughs> this is part of the thing with science. Can I just tell you, science is, um, is a mystery to me, in, and I think it might be a mystery to many people. Um, so because of the coronavirus and the whole quarantine thing, and because it's so miserable and everybody was talking about death. and we've got children, that we decide, although technically they're both teenagers, we decided that what we'd do is hatch chicken eggs. So we got an incubator and we hatched some eggs. And you cannot tell whether a chicken is male or female until they either start crowing or start laying eggs. Hence why we have four roosters out of nine chickens, and the roosters are called Big Margaret, Wee Margaret, (laughs) Peggy, and who's the other one? It's Peggy and Fiona, which are definitely not rooster names. No, not very roostery at all. Uh, science is a mystery, guys. <laughs> so it was me, we Margaret who escaped this morning and pecked the neighbour. And Margaret and is pecked? a rooster. Said, yeah, she yes. is. We Margaret and Big Margaret are both roosters. So <laughs> statistically, I think it's a good idea to not call any young chickens Margaret if you want them to be chickens and not
1: roosters, because both of our Margarets are roosters. So even as they mature, they—it's just the coloring is the same as chicks, but at a certain point, the coloring changes. Correct or not?
2: Well, there's different ways that you can tell. Like they talk about. You can do a thing called venting, which I was not planning on doing. Uh. Um, yeah, we, we, you get an idea of what venting is. It involves looking in, internally in day-old chicks, which was not for us. Uh. Um, and then there's a thing where people say that they can do it with uh, feathers. If you look at the feathers on the wings, um, if they've got longer feathers, because female chickens tend to get their feathers earlier. So if you look in the wings on day two, you can tell if they've got different layers of feathers. And then I there's can... some chickens that are auto-sexing. Auto-sexing? But that seems to be bollocks, because Margaret, both Big Margaret and Wee Margaret, looked like they were going to not be hens. But they are... Well, looked like they would be hens, sorry. Oh, right, But right, they right, are right. roosters. There you go. Interesting.
0: I think it's more fun just to see how, how it pans out.
2: It is, but you're not allowed to have more than one rooster. And also, we've had to put a, Do you know you can get rooster collars? Did you know that? I did so not you know put, that. Yeah, you get rooster collars. So you put a little collar on the rooster so that it can't crow. And it means that you can keep them, but it can't crow as loudly as it would. And we, we put on... Because Big Margaret is an avid crower. Big Margaret would crow <laughs> all the time, 24 hours a day, if possible. Um... So we put a collar on Big Margaret the other day, and she still crows. But um, you can't have more than one rooster within L.A. County. Um,
0: oh, is that because of the reproduction? Like, they could, you could end up running wild with the number of roosters?
2: Well, it depends. You know, like, roosters can be very aggressive, and they uh, okay. uh, attack different things. And also, apparently, they can be a bit too needy with the chickens, right? You know what I'm saying.
1: Okay, yeah. Uh
2: yep. there's no foreplay when it comes to roosters. They're like right. totally you're clucked. That's it, right? <laughs> I'm just um, realized
0: by the way, weren't you weren't you in Chicken Run? Weren't you one of the voices? I was, yeah. I was. <laughs> did did and, you do Did also, you do a fair bit of pre like chicken research? Like no, really not getting at to love animal behaviour?
2: No, nothing. No. That's the thing with Chicken Run though. Like those guys are proper artists. Like Pete and Nick, and like the the animators are incredible. And Carrie who wrote it, like those guys have made you a masterpiece and all you turn up and do is be a colour, right? But it's all already set out for you. You know, right. you have to be really shit to not make it work. Do <laughs> you know what I mean? Because all the work has been done. But no, the thing with it is um that in in Chicken Run, the whole plot is that the chickens are trying to escape from Mrs. Tweedy's farm because Mrs. Tweedy's going to make chicken pies. Mm-hmm. And uh, my married name is Tweddle. So oh, it's a right. little close, Mrs. Tweddle's chicken pies, right? So, um, and at one point, <laughs> we were talking about getting chickens. Um, I guess we were talking about getting them in March or something like that, and we couldn't because it was illegal at that point to get chickens because of a thing called New- uh, Newcastle virus. Um, and there are loads of jokes there. If there was a Geordie here, they'd be like all up for that. Like what they all wear. Like,
0: you know. Yeah, you can fill in the gaps. Yeah. You can work you know it no out.
2: Way. So, uh, and we, we were toying with it because the, you know, our kids were quite depressed and we were like, we could get the chickens. that would cheer them up. And then we went, no, we can't. Because if I get arrested for illegal chicken owning, <laughs> that would not be a good thing. So, you know, Mrs. Tweddle's yeah. illegal chicken. And so we waited and did it all legally. And all our chickens are legal. But we probably will have to rehome a couple of our roosters, which is, is not good. How many hens did you end up getting? Five. So five hens, five four hens, roosters. Four roosters. That's not- and, and I'm still hopeful. I'm hoping that Peggy is just, you know, kind of over enthusiastic. But I have a feeling that Peggy is, in fact, a rooster. <laughs> You know, the weird thing with them as well is that, like, baby roosters are much more affectionate than baby hens. Huh. And for us, anyway. Like, Big Margaret is a complete souk. As in, like, likes to sit in your legs and, you know, wants you to stroke her feathers and all that. And Fiona. Um, and Peggy, like, always wants picked up. Wee Margaret can be a little difficult, for sure. Or else she wouldn't <laughs> have pecked the neighbours, but, you know.
1: So this is, it's mainly, you have these as as pets, so you spend a lot of time, you and your kids, just, like, playing with them, or?
2: Well, the plan is that they'll lay eggs. Like, we, uh, Matt's been to where I am. It's not like the Bluebell Palace. <laughs> <laughs> but we we bought this place in the magical kingdom of Van Nuys, and um, it's a big space, and we decide, and nobody had lived in this house for two years. Um, it had been completely empty for two years, and before that, I think it had just been one old lady for five years and no one else, um, no other owners since 1942. Wow. So um, like the garage, which is now my studio um, and my office, had National Geographics going back to 1933. Damn. They collected it all, yeah. Um, but the whole place had not been watered or nothing done to it. Everything had uh, kind of died off. And so we just started experimenting with growing things and and building stuff, and we have this kind of weird place right now. I was complaining to my husband that the only vegetables that we seem to grow a lot of at the moment are ones that I have no idea how to cook. <laughs>
1: so we, such as what?
2: Well, pumpkin. As Matt will tell you, I gave him a load of pumpkin.
0: Yeah, that was great. Well, you gave, you so I I dropped off. Because I did um, uh, like a pilot or like a run-in of a new show that you're developing, and we needed mm-hmm. a green screen for that, and you had a spare green screen cloth, cloth so I went and borrowed it from you. Yeah. Uh, and when I delivered it back, you you swapped out the return of the green screen cloth for a whole load of vegetables that were homegrown, which is great. <laughs> but the, the pumpkin you sent me home with was a quarter of a pumpkin. Yeah. Which is too much pumpkin <laughs> like, yeah, it's just, no, right? just a quarter of one of these things is just we had to find we cooked it down it's in the freezer as he recommended in yeah. portions but yeah that was a lot it was well, uh, it tasted p- really good it, ca- it came out great we tried yeah. a bit before we froze the rest of it well
2: what did you- each pumpkin weighs 44 pounds so they seem to average about 44 pounds so we're now we've just cropped another one and then the pumpkin seems to, the plant itself seems to have reinvigorated itself. <laughs> and so now it started flowering and it's it sprouted another two pumpkins. We're like, man, I don't know what we're gonna do with pumpkins. I don't know, but you're mm. setting
0: yourself up nicely for a bit of a Halloween stash.
2: Well, maybe, except who's gonna go out yeah. Halloween this
0: year, right? Well, people want it on their doorsteps though. People will still want to have like a pumpkin that they can leave outside and- do you know, fr- I
2: do not know that I will want a pumpkin on my doorstep after watching a man bathe in, <laughs> in my shower in my fountain yesterday
1: right you'll
0: just See, find people like him him and a few friends cooking marshmallows over your pumpkin
1: <laughs> he's made a hat out of it
2: <laughs> okay so there's that then we've gone do you like figs do you, either
1: of you guys like figs i, I don't think i
0: think i think i do I'm not yeah.
1: sure if they're not in Newton form. If I really uh, want to eat a fig, but...
0: I think I've had some fresh figs that have been really good.
1: I well, mean, they're they're made of wasps. What's not to like? They're not made of wasps. They're oh, that's wasps.
0: right. That's a thing,
1: isn't it? Don't I mean, they're, tell they're me kind it. of they're kind of made of wasps a little bit. No, but I mean, we're all a bit, we're all made of everything. You know, all of our all the all the cells in my all the atoms in my body were probably part of other animals at some point. So whatever.
2: Well, certainly mine are. After watching that man in my fountain, right? <laughs> Um, the figs are, because I had a, uh, this uh, This looks like it's going to be a sad story, but it's not, okay? Just before I go there, so you know. The, the saddest story that I'm going to tell you right now was about the fountain, so we've done that, so we're good. Is it
1: this, the this second, second saddest story after <laughs> this uh, is this ba- baby? Yes, it's the second sad. After baby shoes, use baby (laughs) shoes, whatever, never worn or barely worn or whatever.
2: Yeah. And also after losing the, you know, that I've got four roosters and three of them are going to have to be rehomed. That's quite sad. Mm. No. So the other thing that's, so I've got figs. I don't know what to do with figs. I've made chutney, right? Um, And then at the weekend, and the reason I know that my figs were ripe was because at the weekend, right, that's where it gets sad, but it's not sad, is to, in fact, when we bought this house, I had breast cancer and had to do a lot of surgery and the plastic surgeon that did the reconstruction and he's done a lot of work he actually found cancer again later on it's all fine like i'm saying the saddest story you're going to hear right now is a man bathing in my fountain <laughs> <laughs> okay
1: um
2: but anyway so at the weekend he we're friends now me and this plastic surgeon in fact me and my husband and the plastic surgeon so he came around on sunday to plant a passion fruit vine because he had a spare one I don't know how to do anything with passion fruit either. And when he was here, he was the guy that told me that the figs were ripe. So now I've got passion fruit coming. I don't know what to do with passion fruit. I've got figs. I've got giant pumpkins. Um, And I think Matt can agree with me. None of these things are particularly British. Certainly not Scottish. No,
0: you had some runner beans. Those are... Although they were a different kind of bean to the ones we have in England, but that's still a, that's a British thing for a garden.
2: Well, no, they're Chinese runner beans, those runner beans. Okay, right. And then yesterday I discovered I had African eggplant, as in they're yellow and globes, and you use them in uh, Thai cooking. So literally, I have a garden full of stuff that I have no idea how to cook with. <laughs> but that's so great, though. Do you think?
0: <laughs> I think so. Is it? You know, it gives you something to work out, work on throughout lockdown and. Would you like with?
2: some African eggplant? That could be arranged. Mm. <laughs> oh,
0: right now, the uh our fridge is far too full because we also just did a big shopping pickup. But yeah, I'm gonna hit you up for more. The, so far, it's been a very high hit rate with your free vegetables, uh, and I very much appreciate you
2: know. it. Oh well, good. Well, That's
1: good to know. So
2: there you I, go, you, that's all my
1: stories. You know, I also happen to have uh, a bit of a green thumb, um, <laughs> but that, I mean, not at all. Actually, everything I've planted intentionally has died, but somehow my front yard here in the middle of the desert, there is a thriving vine of what I just found out are called coyote melons. Have you guys heard of coyote melons? No, I
0: have no. not. I are they melons that attack like other smaller melons?
1: I, I, <laughs> I imagine coyotes eat them like candy. They're the size of softballs. I have one sitting right in front of me, as you were talking about, and it's it's, it's pumpkin adjacent. It's a squash um its real name or its scientific name is cucurbita palmata and this one that i picked up is fell off the vine and dried up and so now it can be used as a shaker oh wow yeah. i don't
0: know if you Whoa. can hear that but, so You're um, growing your own musical instruments now That's what yeah I'm thinking, or yeah. I, they're
1: also great juggling balls it's just crazy because there are dozens of them on this vine and again no watering everything else here dies but these melons and and the, the ones that are that aren't dried up are dense like their size and and about the weight of softballs. It's uh, pretty amazing they're able to get enough nutrients out of the ground to even make it to that size. Nature's crazy. Hey, you know what else we're growing? Loofahs.
2: Loofahs. Yeah, you know the sponges you wash yourself? Oh, how do you? They're basically, uh, they're like a form of squash. And so you grow them and then you dry them. And then that's what you use. I always thought loofahs were things that you go under the sea. I don't know why I thought that, but that's not that. I think I did as well, because I was just thinking sea sponges. Yeah. No, they're not. They're not. They're um, they're a vegetable. They're sort of like zucchini, like a big zucchini. Um, and you dry them out. Again, I you can cook with them. I'll probably make a you know bash at trying to cook with them, because there'll be yet another vegetable <laughs> I don't know how to cook with. But
1: uh, yeah, we're growing them too. Interesting. That? I never knew those were yeah.
0: Well, yeah. should we let's get into some stories? Because while sure. we're talking about sort of unexpected living things, this was sent in by a couple of people. I know it was sent in by uh, Dina uh, Winston on Twitter, um, and I think someone that emailed it as well. If you want to check who that was, just so we can credit them. But um, a discovery of a colony of Antarctic penguins from poop stains visible from space
2: <laughs> Whoa.
0: i'll then uh, i'll put that in the show notes there as well so you can see it on the website you can click on it if you want to but um
2: that's fantastic isn't it well i can totally understand it with the chickens right yeah because like, i've got only nine chickens and i'm telling you those mothers can poop i mean oh they yeah poop yeah so uh, a tribe of penguins, and also it's white around there, right? So you know it's easier to see. I would have thought.
0: Yeah, uh, but you know, then snow gets blown around and new snow lands, and it sort of covers stuff up. But yeah, apparently they might be good at hiding from humans. These penguins, but they can't hide their poop from the giant satellites circling our planet. So <laughs> I guess penguins did not didn't evolve to be aware like of things they like. Would have
2: thought of, I'm guessing, you know, in the penguin. Uh, thoughts. It's not like, guys, look out.
0: Yeah. There isn't like an Arthur C. Clarke penguin positing the.
2: Yeah, wondering if there's aliens.
0: Right. Um... I wonder
2: what a penguin would think an alien looked like. Do you know what I mean? Like, because whenever we talk about <laughs> what aliens look like, they always look kind of strangely like humans. Right. But, like,. You know, so that you can have an a- alien costume, right? There's always something humanish about it, like a wee skinny body and a big head. Kind of like a malnourished person from the mm-hmm. wrong side of Glasgow. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> That's the sort of alien thing. But I wonder what a penguin would think an
0: alien would look like. Do you think it, they'd think it
1: was looking penguin shaped? I bet. Penguinpomorphic, I bet, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know, because they're sort of blase about I wonder how they feel just when they see their first human. They're just sort of, oh, this is just another thing that I need to work out is. As... <laughs> Friendly or not.
1: I can't I can't see a penguin and take it seriously scientifically ever since Robert Buscemi's joke about wondering what's inside of a penguin. He's like, I bet if you cut it open, it's just more penguin. Like like a big pencil eraser. <laughs> I feel like it's a solid penguin all the way through. Yeah.
0: That's funny. It's
1: so true though, right?
0: So this, these new satellite images revealed penguin poop stains on the white blankets of the coldest continent. That's very lyrical writing from LifeScience.com. Mm-hmm. And these dark spots suggest there are nearly 20% more emperor penguin colonies in Antarctica than previously thought. Mm. Which is apparently good and bad news. Uh, according it might to... just be
2: a small group of really big poopers.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. just like they've got dodgy diets. Yeah. But all of these new colonies are located in areas that are likely to be highly vulnerable to climate change, according to the study. Mm, I know. It's not easy to count just how many emperor penguins live on Antarctica, as the animals typically breed in very frigid, remote, and difficult-to-reach places. To get around this, for the past decade, scientists with the British Antarctic survey, Survey have been searching for penguins indirectly by looking for poop stains in satellite imagery. In the new study, scientists analyzed images taken in 2016, 2018, and 2019 by the European Space Agency's Copernicus Sentinel-2 satellites, which revealed image... And then they reviewed the images for brown pixels. <laughs> yeah, brown pixels, which represent guano stains. I didn't realize you called it guano for other animals. I thought that was just bats.
1: Yeah, When does it, when is it scat? When is it guano? When is it... Um, what else can it be?
0: Just a fucking mess. <laughs> The, yeah. It's a prize. Right. <laughs> Just a horrible <laughs> surprise. <laughs> hey,
2: it must be a nightmare. You know, like you do all these years of training, right? All these years of training where you're like, oh, passing your exams and not going to bars. Obviously, nobody is anyway now. You know, not hanging out at home, reading all your books, looking all your things, remembering everything so that one day you'll get to work on maybe satellite imaging and you've done this your whole life and then you get to where you were looking to get to and where you've been striving for since you were little, since you even thought about the man and his first foot on the moon and the first job that you get to is to try and find penguin poop. <laughs> At the end of all of that, right?
0: I don't know. I think, like, there's a... We've had a fair number of scientists on the show and spoken to others and I think they would be divided into the ones who are like... I thought I'd be finding new galaxies and I'm looking at penguin shit and then Hmm. the others that are like, hey, look, I just found some more penguin shit (laughs) (laughs) from a satellite.
1: I can't believe I'm finally getting paid for this. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Maybe. You
2: have a point for sure.
0: um, So these images revealed eight new emperor penguin colonies and confirmed the existence of three others previously identified, bringing the continent's total to 61 colonies. That is a much smaller number than I thought as well. I yeah. guess the colonies are large. Most of the colonies were so small, the researchers had to use multiple images to confirm they existed according to the study. Those 11 new colonies increased the known emperor penguin populations by five, 5% to 10% or up to 55 additional birds, bringing the total population of the world's tallest link living penguin to somewhere between 531,000 and 557,000.
1: That's a ton of penguins and a ton of shit. How tall it's, is the tallest penguin?
0: I think, I'm trying to remember, I've seen emperor penguins in the zoo, and I feel like they are around, I'd guess they're four around feet? four feet. That's yeah. what I was about right. to guess. Just like a meter and change.
2: Are those the ones, are the emperor penguins the ones with the little yellow bits at their ears?
1: Uh, yes. I just looked them up. They can be 3.6 to 4.3 feet. Good work, Matt and me. Um, and they got the yellow. Yeah, the the yellow behind the ears. Yeah, Uh,
2: yeah, I like these. What about the female emperor penguin? Is that called a female emperor penguin or is it called an empress penguin?
1: Mm -hmm. Let's see if they have, um... They must have female. ...terms.
2: It did make me laugh there when it was like they breed in cold and difficult conditions. I'm (laughs) like... (laughs) I think I've known people. I went to school with people like that.
1: (laughs) It looks like the adult male penguins are called cocks and the females are hens, so it's Uh. sort of a bird. But they're female emperor penguins. They're emperor hens, yeah. Uh, Emperor
0: hens. Um, So Phil Traython, the head of conservation biology at the BAS, said, while it's good news, Well, he actually said whilst it's good news (laughs) that we found these new colonies. The breeding sites are all in locations where the recent model model projections suggest emperors will decline. Birds in these sites are therefore probably the canaries in the coal mine. We need to watch these sites carefully as climate change will affect this region. We've said this before in the show. I am not okay with... Using uh, with mixing animal metaphors. Yeah, but particularly I don't think you can use a bird metaphor when you're talking about a different bird I I don't think that's right. Do you think it's rude? I think it. Yeah, I think it's rude It's unfair to the canaries. You can't bring a penguin into a coal mine for multiple reasons
1: Matt, I'm with you on this. We're birds of feather, as far as I'm concerned
2: To except at the beginning of this, I did use the whole thing about I can understand it. You can see the poop from space because I have chickens.
0: Well, but that's a, that's a penguin analogy. Oh, that's right. a bird. I think yeah. that's a bird comparison rather than a turn of phrase. I, yeah. I, I will fully allow that. I think that's exactly. acceptable.
2: Do you think penguins poop as much as chickens, or chickens poop more than penguins? Who Volume or frequency? Most? Uh, both. Oh, I def- actually fre- fre- can't even say that. Frequency will be chickens. Because chickens will poop and look you in the eye at the same time. <laughs> right? The, the only creatures that will look you in the eye while simultaneously pooping... I was like, wait, am I part like, chicken? <laughs> <laughs> chickens and three-year-old children. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: And smiling. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because penguin, penguins kind of huddle together as well, don't they? So I think they're in big... I don't... I think it would be impolite to the other penguins to be shitting as constantly as chickens are.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Whereas chickens are meant to be in more space. Chickens
1: Although they just
2: don't care. They just right. don't care. Even when they're in a group of chickens all huddled together, they just poop. They don't care. They don't
1: so, give a shit, but they do give a shit.
2: Yeah,
0: right. absolutely. Yeah. So right. I reckon, I reckon, answered your question, I think penguins' volume would be greater just because the size of them is greater. Mm. But, yeah, I think you're right, that continuous... Just the frequency would be much higher in the chicken world. Yeah. Yeah, I
2: I think it would have to be.
0: So almost all emperor penguins colonies depend on stable sea ice anchored to the land for breeding, according to the study. And this land-anchored ice needs to remain stable for around nine months from when they breed to when their chicks fledge. Previous projections have suggested that climate change and melting ice is likely to spark a decline in emperor penguin populations, according to the statement. Even if global temperatures increase... Only by 2.7 degrees Fahrenheit, which is one and a half Celsius, which climate scientists think is the best case scenario. The Antarctic population of emperor and penguins will decrease by at least 31% over the next two generations. It's a lot.
1: Mm.
2: Do you know, I have to say, the only people that I dislike more than strangers who bathe in your fountains (laughs) are climate change deniers what i mean i'm like what's the point of you man what is the point yeah. what's your what are you here for you know it is yeah we we had i'm now
0: god i'm blanking on the name of the um astrophysicist who was on the show a while back a- when we talked adam with- adam frank that's right and yeah he made the great point because he, he was talking about astrobiology and he he was just talking about how how weird it would be if humans didn't warm the earth and how? Because he was also talking about how that's one of the things that they look for, for detecting the possibility of li- life on other planets, is to look hmm. for an increase in the temperature, a temperature a planet that is warmer than you'd expect from its proximity to its star and its atmosphere. And wow. it would just be, it, w- it would be almost impossible for any life, but particularly civilized life, to not substantially warm the planet that they're on.
2: Except, I wonder if there are a species of alien penguins, right?
1: It like, it. like it cold.
2: <laughs> yeah, they like it cold. They could be really far away from the sun because, you know, they like it cold. And uh, and and you wouldn't know about them because penguins don't like to be found. Yep. Uh, <laughs> they don't want to stay in places where like people find comfortable, so they would go to the difficult planets. I suspect we have discovered that there are alien penguins in our universe.
0: Just We've blending in captured yeah. interplanetary. planetary. In black tie ernst. events. <laughs> it's, it's um we have there, when this story came out, I was like, have we done this story before? So it turns out this is not the only time scientists have found penguins from their poop, according to this article. And this is what I remember. It two years ago yeah. two years ago another group uncovered a previously unknown super colony of one and a half million Adelaide penguins on the Antarctic Peninsula's Danger Islands. That's Whoa. right, I remember that now. Danger, danger Islands, hello. and trying to work out whether I pronounced Adelaide correctly, which I still probably haven't.
1: Or
0: Danger. But, right, oh, yeah, Danger. The Danger <laughs> Island. Danger. Danger. <laughs> Elant. <laughs> Fanny de the in. <laughs> in satellite images, according to a previous life-size report, these Adelaide penguins had somehow thrived despite climate change, while their counterparts on the western side of the Antarctic Peninsula had already had population declines.
2: You know what this proves? It proves that aliens are penguins. Penguin. The next aliens we find are going to be penguins because they thrive <laughs> in places that we don't even dare look. Yep. Dare. That movie would have been a lot different, though, no, with know, the one with Sig- Sigourney Weaver. That's a oh, difficult yeah. one. To, yeah, if if the aliens in that were penguin-shaped, <laughs> that would just, be tricky.
0: I mean, They're just the huddling and squawking.
2: Yeah, and pooping. <laughs> in, but, space. but imagine
1: how adorable it is to have a little penguin pop out of your stomach. That's...
2: Well, no, that's where you and I might okay. differ. Adam, okay. I don't think it's that adorable. <laughs> I Don't know that I would like that.
1: Just have <laughs> everything in that scene the same. Everyone's screaming, there's blood everywhere. Then as soon as he pops out, he just looks at the camera and winks, and everyone goes, Aww. <laughs> "Just
0: like oh, you got a little butler in your stomach, yeah. Yeah, like Pingu,
1: right? <laughs> <laughs> that. That would be good." Well, um, sp- speaking of finding unexpected colonies, Matt, did did you see the video I posted on Instagram on Saturday?
0: I did not. I I barely, I very rarely look at Instagram.
1: This was very exciting. I was hiking with a friend in Joshua Tree National Park and I saw in the distance what I was like, what, that must be just a weird rock formation that I'm thinking looks like some mountain goat sized animal. And we started walking closer. I was like, oh no, wait, that's definitely some kind of large mammal. Wait, that's two of them. And we kept getting closer and closer and I was like, are those bighorn sheep or mountain goats, we were staring at these five, uh, like 50 feet away on top of a rock, these five um, presumably bighorn sheep, just sitting staring at us, like they weren't scared of us, we didn't get too close, like they were never looking spooked at all. We just, my friend and I were just talking, like speculating what they were, I'm like, yeah, but I thought bighorn sheep had like really big horns, and as soon as mm. we said that, these two males walked up right next to the females staring us down, the biggest horns I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> We were just losing our mind because we had just said that and then suddenly they look at us. So now seven of these things are all looking at us. Then the males look up the hill at the females and then then quickly gallop up the hill to them and then they're all staring us down like the males want us to know they see us and they don't want us to come any closer. (laughs) But we still stayed there for like an hour while they all just hung out chewing their cud. I think in total we saw at least five females and at least three males which are also called rams Um, and it was just Stunning, and then when I got home, I looked it up to see if this was really uncommon because I posted a video. And then people who someone just posted he's been coming to Joshua Tree for 32 years and he's never seen them. So I was like, How rare is this? And it turns out there are only three colonies in the entire or herds in the entire park. And the park itself, the parks is the size of uh, of Rhode Island, so it's a giant park. Wow. Um, so there's one herd that's like 20 miles east of where I was, it has 120 animals one that I think is pretty far west with a 100 animals. And the one I'm pretty sure we saw is the smallest in the park only has 30 animals. It's found in the Wonderland of Rocks, which is about five miles from where we were. So if you're going in the park, I recommend hiking off, get off some trails and go towards the Wonderland of Rocks and you might see these things.
0: Oh. Um, and that's what they always th- say is hiking advice, isn't it? Like, leave the trails. <laughs> but, I mean, Joshua
1: Tree, there's nothing to really, you don't have to like battle your way through any vegetation, you know, it's just the desert floor or some rocks, so. I like the idea of the Wonderland of rocks. eh? doesn't
2: that sound magical?
1: I mean, it is. Have you been to the park, Lynn? It's magical. No, really, you haven't. No, it's otherworldly. It's. I mean, the trees are amazing, but it's really the rock formations that make it stunning. And now the bighorn sheep. But um, and I guess any penguins though. I wish there were penguins. penguins? No, you don't. You don't because
2: the (laughs) sheep would. They'd fight the sheep. (laughs) then it wouldn't be a peaceful place to be. <laughs> would. And also, they'd probably poop all over the wonderland of rocks, and it wouldn't be such a wonderland then with I'm penguin sure. poop all over it from space.
1: We actually did see some fighting. I looked, so according to this article on the Joshua Tree National Park Service website, um, we're in the middle of rutting, rutting season, so it's it's mating season. We saw a male walk up behind a female and start to like cock his head back, and his ears twirled around, and he started to bleat a little bit, and we thought we were going to see something crazy. Um, but yeah, I guess the males fight for females. Uh, so we saw a couple of the males butting horns, um, and this is yeah August and September is the peak time for that to happen. And then the rest of the year, I guess the males hang off, hang out on their own in, in bachelor bands. But uh, this time of year, they get together with the ladies.
2: See, this is how you and I are different, because you get to see, you get to be around the magical wonderland of rocks and see your big horn sheep. And I am in the magical kingdom of Van Nang. <laughs> and last night when I was out walking my small mixed terrier dog, we had to make a quick detour because there were two raccoons, given it large. Um, That's majestic. Yeah, <laughs> It was majestic. And also because they're raccoons, they look at you while they're doing it. Do you know what I mean, raccoons are so like grubby. They could be fucking one another and they're still looking at you going, what? Yeah. Like, Raccoons look like they're the kind of animals that should always be chewing gum. <laughs> <laughs> like what? Too totally surly. it to you? I was I
0: was going to do a physics story, but I I know while we were still in the animal kingdom, I just saw this this story that was emailed to us by uh, listener Jennifer, and it just seems too appropriate not to do. Uh, I just put it in the notes there. Painting eyes on the butts of c- cattle is surprisingly effective at scaring yes. off predators.
1: Oh, <laughs> I love that.
0: If you look at a picture...
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, those are great eyes. I wasn't expecting that much detail. That's... Uh,
2: yeah. That's story. fantastic. I bet the
0: cattle love it as well.
1: Um, you got to give them a smoky eye. You really got to put <laughs> yeah. some more <work> in. <laughs> like,
0: like Instagram, YouTube tutorials. Yeah. how to do it that's
2: fantastic is it
0: great this story on the ifl science we've still not worked out what that stands for (laughs) website but researchers have yeah come up with a novel way to protect the lives of livestock lions and people's livelihoods in botswana by painting eyes on the butts of cattle painting all right peepers this is have (laughs) you seen that there's a twitter account i think it's second mentions and it's it's, re- it's quite UK-centric because the British papers and tabloids in particular are really keen on this. We, we've talked about it before on the podcast, but I didn't realize there was a Twitter account that's collated it. The UK newspaper's habit of coming up with the most tortured synonyms right. for anyone or for anything. So it, it'll, it's,
1: it's a good writing exercise or thing to not use the same word a lot. So I, I get you're supposed to change it up. but uh.
0: Yeah, like like if... They were doing an article on Lynn, it would, the first mention would be sort of comedian Lynn Ferguson and then the second time it would be like the Caledonian funny woman.
2: Oh, uh, uh, I know <laughs> what you're saying. <laughs> Laugh-caus-
1: Laugh-causer Ferguson then say <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no, they'd never say that about me. They would never say
2: <laughs> Hey, I'm sorry, I got distracted because you said about painting the eyes on cows. I was like, I'm going to look at, this is amazing. It's amazing that what they do, because the eyes where they're positioned, right, and then the tail—they look like kind of weird elephants. Yeah, they, they, they do. really <laughs> do.
0: Well, I can see why it, it's off-putting if you're a predator. Yeah, There's- it's probably off-putting if you're another cow as well. <laughs> yeah, <if> I'm honest. <laughs> I'm always wondered you do wonder how animals perceive things like that and what they think of, like, like for example, our cat, who's mostly mostly exists in two modes, either either peacefully sort of purring or sleeping mm. or play attacking us because he doesn't quite know how we've, this has come up on the show many a time how he doesn't know how to play normally and will bite you but in an unpleasant way um but i the only times i've ever seen him sort of in an actual like attack mode is moving a large box or the vacuum cleaner and like <laughs> not actually vacuuming once once the vacuum cleaner is turned on and we're hoovering fine but moving it from one room to another as you bring it in, he stands there and he hisses at it. What does like, he
1: think that is? Yeah. Like
0: he—that's that, what I wonder. I, I'm fascinated. I would love to know in his head what he thinks this machine is, and why he thinks he needs to defend his territory against this thing. But it's absolutely—it's like clockwork. Like you—you you absolutely bank on it. If one of us <laughs> moves this Hoover in or out of the room that he's in, in any way towards him, he will stand <laughs> his ground and hiss it. At- <laughs>
2: <laughs> do you think that maybe you should get a Roomba? If you get a Roomba, do you think your cat would move out?
0: I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure how he'd react to it, but um, but we do just have one rug that really is the only thing that needs vacuuming. So I'm not sure a Roomba would be worth it. But it's a slightly bigger investment, but yeah, he he stands there and he hisses at that, and it's fascinating. I just want to know what he thinks, what he thinks it is. Today we made the mistake of leaving an egg on the counter. Oh. For, and he just started batting it like he does with one of his balls, and just like batted it off the counter. Instantly, we were just like, "Well, that was entirely Aww. our fault. <laughs> <laughs> we have no one to like. We are, we have no one to blame for us ourse- ourselves for this egg that is now broken on the floor because he just awesome. sort of. It's just it's just a play ball to him. But that's the thing. I I want to know what he thinks things are, and I want to know what a lion thinks this wow. cow ass with eyes is. What animal he they think it's they're dealing with so yeah, Botswana again this is very so doesn't it
2: make you think about bad tattoos <laughs> it just makes me think that somebody at some point is going to go that's a great idea we are going to get drunk haven't go I've, got, I've seen this thing with the eyes on a
0: cattle's ass <laughs> the other cows and are looking gonna... at each other going, yeah I was going through a yeah. breakup you know I just wanted. To-. <laughs>
2: Yeah, found myself. I just went for one beer. I woke up in Tijuana and this was on my
0: ass. (laughs) Um, So Botswana's sweeping landscapes. This is, yeah, some writing here from Katie Evans. Include the lush Okavango Delta, where many of Africa's famous creatures roam, from lions and lepers to spotted hyenas, cheetahs, and African wild dogs. This is also where the South African countries, Southern African countries' livestock, which accounts to around 80% of their agricultural earnings, graze. Researchers from the University of New South Wales wondered if they could trick predators, which usually rely on remaining undetected to ambush their prey, into thinking they've been spotted, and thus the attack was not worth it. You may be thinking that a pair of eyes on an ass shouldn't be enough to deter some of nature's deadliest hunters, but big <laughs> cats have a surprisingly low success rate when it comes to hunting. For cheetahs, it's around 50%, while for leopards it's only 38%, and lions just 25%. I don't nice. know that. So whether a, an attack is worth the energy expended is always considered. Lions are ambush predators that rely on stalking, said Neil Jordan, who's one of the researchers. And therefore, the element of surprise, so being seen, oh sorry, they rely on stalking and the element of surprise. So being seen by their prey can lead them to abandon the hunt. We tested whether they could we could hack into this response to reduce livestock losses potentially protecting lions and livelihoods at the same time. Botswana's struggling cattle industry is well-documented. Longer and harsher droughts are causing animals to die due to a lack of drinking water and grasslands. These harsh conditions also drive predators to more desperate hunting measures, including snatching cattle. According to a census last year by Botswana Statistics, the country's cattle population dropped from 2.5 million in 2011 to 1.7 million in 2015. That's a substantial drop.
2: Yeah, it's nearly as bad as the penguins, right? <laughs> Except yeah.
0: you—they're easier to spot. You don't need a satellite to find. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, you don't need a satellite to see a cattle poop. You know, I think animals uh, can be quite easily fooled, can't they? Really, I just—I think about, you know, if you go to the hardware store and you see those plastic owls that people are meant to put up to defer, like to, you know, oh yeah, birds, and you're like. Oh come on! No bird surely is going to think that that they'll know it's like just a bad garden gnome. But no, they seem to right
0: or a scarecrow as well. You're yeah. right, completely. So the, they the way they be the way they tested this, their controls they ha- they did it with 14 different herds that had experienced lion attacks. A third had eyes painted on their rumps. A third had a simple cross, and a third was left unpainted. We've,
2: oh, I wouldn't. have like to be the cross.
0: Right. I wouldn't. Well, the cross it's is like, like a target. Yeah, I guess the, cross is, the spot. I guess mm-hmm. the cross is just designed to test if any kind of marking has an effect rather than specifically an eye.
1: Well, it's so not that's... just to see if, like, v- lions and vampires will stay away? <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: it's not lions at all, it's vampires, I'm yeah. calling.
0: <laughs> the, uh... It was attracting a wild number of treasure hunters. <laughs> so they <laughs> yeah. found, they found that those with extra eyes were found to be much more likely to survive. In fact, no... Four-eyed cows were lost at all during the four-year study. Surprisingly, they also found that painted crosses seemed to attack, did act as a deterrent, with just four of the cows with crosses killed compared to fifteen of the unpainted cows.
1: So now, when you buy so, a steak from one of those at the store, will it be marked like free ranged but-eye chicken? I mean, free-range, <laughs> but-eye beef.
0: So, it. I guess. Eye spots, a form of mimicry where patterns look at eyes, have evolved in many species, from butterflies to birds, to act as anti-predator signals, but eye mimicry to deter predata- predate- predation is the correct word there, have n- has never occurred in mammals before, but this research appears to show that it does work. The researchers suspect this may mean mammals have an inherent response to eyes that could be used in the continued quest to prevent human-wildlife conflict."
2: Well you know that really though from dogs and cats like dogs don't really like when you look at them for too long they get all nervous yeah and uh and cats don't like it either they well if and if your cat is staring you in the eye then you know that there's trouble
0: that's right and cats like half closing their eyes is a thought, that's their version of smiling and showing yeah. you're meant to do that back oh, in them because really? that's yeah because half shutting your eyes basically shows that you are it, i guess it's like the equivalent of like a human open palm action it's like i am I'm posing no threat right now, and I'm comfortable enough in your presence to stand down my defences and half shut my eyes. Hmm. hmm. So, They're yeah. Funny.
2: Interesting. My dog has a thing about the chickens. It's very interesting that he wants to be included as part of the chickens. Like, chickens stay together, right? They're very into flock. And if you move one of the chickens, like so today, when we, Margaret, ended up in the neighbours. All the other chickens were a little bothered about it because they didn't know where Margaret was. And and Arthur, our dog, uh, really wants to be part of the chicken thing. And so if I'm feeding the chickens, I always have to feed Arthur at the same time, (laughs) at the other side of the fence, because he wants to be part of this group of creatures. It's it's very interesting, I know.
0: That's kind of adorable.
2: It's sort of adorable, apart from Fiona is quite aggressive. And so the other night, Fiona and I had a a little bit of a get-to because she um, flapped her, she ruffled her feathers at Arthur and frightened him. And so, uh, yeah, I don't know what it is. But we should probably never have called her Fiona. You know, maybe that's why she's aggressive. <laughs> He's aggressive. That'll be why. <laughs> I don't
0: know. So um, I want to do this story because this is something. This was tweeted at us by listener um i'm gonna guess from the twitter handle timothy redman or timothy something but his twitter name is a flock of smeagols solid pun there <laughs> solid pun <laughs> but this is something okay it, it's about this possible scientific effect that is disputed and i'm amazed that it had is still disputed it still hasn't been or it looks like it now has been proven or has been shown but this is the effect that hot water freezes faster than cold water.
1: No. I thought and that had been debunked for
0: some reason. That, well, so did I, well, because, so here's the thing. I remember at school, there was, in our school classroom, you know, you've in the science classroom, there's normally those posters that I don't know where teachers get them from, but there seems to be various suppliers that just provide posters of things, science things to science classrooms. And one of them was about this effect, and whether or not it was true and the fact that it's disputed because you can sort of see two different possibilities like on the one hand there once it once if you put hot water in the freezer at sort of 80 degrees celsius and cold water at 20 degrees celsius well at some point the hot water has to have cooled to the point that it's at 20 degrees celsius and then it's the same as the water that was previously at 20 degrees Celsius, but right. a certain, but 20 minutes further behind in the process. So surely it's gonna take however long it takes to get to 20 degrees and then some.
1: Unless um, there's some sort of like acceleration versus velocity analogy. Right, like tortoise this. and the
0: hare kind of thing where yeah. it's, be, yeah. it's going quicker in that direction or something like that. So it's, it's known as the, and I, I, I hope I'm pronouncing this one correctly, the Mapemba. M- effect, that's M-P-E-M-B-A effect. And a new experiment hints at how it can happen using tiny glass beads, this science news.org article. So jumping the pun entry, the f- pun first sentence. A hot object can cool more quickly than a warm one, a new study finds. When chilled, a warmer system cooled off in less time than it took a cooler system to reach the same low temperature. And in some cases, the speed up was even exponential, physicists report in the August the 6th issue of Nature. So Nature's a very reputable journal. This seems to be legit. So the experiment was inspired by reports of the Mbemba effect, the counterintuitive observation that hot water sometimes freezes faster than cold. So again, like the, the, the tricky thing is making sure it's a closed environment as well, because evaporation, which happens more in a hot system, could be occurring and cooling it down. Mm So,
2: I'm just horrified about the idea of putting hot water in a freezer. (laughs) Like, literally, I have been cooking so many vegetables, and most of the time I've been like, because I'm dealing with all the vegetables that I don't know how to cook. Yeah. So, a whole load of them I'm roasting or drying or doing stuff with, and they're all going in the freezer. And I swear, if somebody, anybody, I don't care how big a scientist they were put hot water in my freezer right now, they'd get punched in the face. I would be more angry with them putting hot water in the freezer than I was with the guy bathing in my fountain. Just so you know. And I don't care what the effect is.
0: The, um, so experiments studying this phenomenon have been muddled by the complexities of water and the freezing process, making results difficult to reproduce and leaving scientists disagreeing over what causes the effect, how to define it, and if it is even real.
1: Isn't that crazy? Something that sounds so simple would have... That,
0: yeah, that blows my mind. I can understand how school experiments would have inconsistencies, but you'd think that they would have designed it it, it. it feels like, given how relatively simple it is to test, it's it's baffling that it hasn't. But I guess it's controlling for every possible factor and making sure it's a closed system and everything.
1: Yeah.
0: So to sidestep those complexities, Avinash Kumar and John Beckhofer who are both of the Simon Fraser University in Canada, used tiny glass beads, one and a half micrometers in diameter, in lieu of water. And the researchers defined the MEPEMBA effect based on cooling, instead of the more complicated process of freezing. The result, this is the first time an experiment can be claimed as a clean, perfectly controlled experiment that demonstrates this effect. According to theoretical chemist Lu of the University of North Carolina, in the experiment, a bead represented the equivalent of a single molecule of water and measurements were performed a thousand times under a given set of conditions to produce a collection of, quote, molecules, that are molecule substitutes. A laser exerted forces on each bead, producing an energy landscape or potential. Meanwhile, the bead was cooled off in a bath of water. The effective temperature of the beads from the combined trials could be derived from how they traverse the energy landscape moving in response to the forces imparted by the laser. This is much more complicated than the poster version of my school, which was we put two beakers of water in the freezer and saw what happened. To study how the system cooled, the researchers tracked the beads' motions over time. The beads began at either a higher or moderate temperature, and the researchers measured how long it took for them to cool down to the temperature of the water. Under certain conditions, the beads that started out hotter cooled faster, and sometimes exponentially faster, than the cooler beads. In one case, the hotter beads cooled off in about 2 milliseconds, while the cooler beads took 10 times as long. There's a f- photo of the experiment going on here as well. And it it does look r- remarkably complicated there. There's a guy wearing... It's odd, because he's wearing sunglasses, or shades, clearly because of the laser eye protection. But... Other than that, he is dressed like me on holiday. <laughs> He's wearing like a blue, slightly out, slightly oversized t-shirt and what looks like cargo shorts or some kind of shorts.
1: Oh, you can see the pockets on the sides. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I can't work out if it's a pocket or if that's just like an interference pattern with the background. I, I can't quite tell, but...
1: But it's probably
2: that is it Steve Jobs thing, which is he's spending so much time thinking about his glass beads that he doesn't have enough time to think about his clothes.
0: Right, devote no time. You're wasting brain space and thinking and science time. You're possibly costing yourself a Nobel Prize if you (laughs) mess around with multiple wardrobe options. Just stick with what you know.
2: Yeah, you know, because I'm quite an old person and I like to think, oh, thanks for arguing. Oh, come (laughs) up. (laughs) No, no, it's fine. No, it's fine. No, no, it's fine. And too late. Anyway, (laughs) I'm quite an old person and I like to think that I've met most types of people in my life, you know. And I am listening to you talking there about this guy who's done the thing with the glass beads and the blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I don't think I've ever met anybody who has, you know dedicated so much time and, you know, gathered together glass beads in order to work out whether hot water cools faster than warm water in a freezer. I mean, uh, but- I I am not saying that it's not an admirable thing to do and there will be a great application to it, but I just, I sort of sat here and I, I went through a little coronavirus bereft thing where I was like, well, you know, I'm not meeting many people now and I probably in my life, may <laughs> never meet someone who collects glass balls to work out oh, with her I, hot water.
0: I can't promise you this, specifically lasers and glass beads, but I can absolutely introduce you to a, a fairly large number of people, thanks to doing this show for some years now, who have dedicated their lives to some quite niche pursuits.
2: Yeah. Oh, could we have a party then? Well, like a socially distanced party? Because yeah, I like the sound of that. We can, we can do you know absolutely what I mean? You've do You've got that. to admire somebody who does that. Like who has that focus? I know it's a little out there, but in a lot of ways, it's not a little out there because it's that thing I going, No, I've seen this poster. Oh, yeah. in my school wall, and I am We're going to find it. it well, one it is. It is a
0: fascinating all. thing, and I think I can see the appeal of trying to get to the bottom of this because, firstly, it's this sort of, it's something that, like you say, Andy, it's so simple. You're amazed it hasn't been, sort of, it hasn't got. We haven't got on top of it yet. And also just a, a phenomenon which is confusing and complicated, but is incredibly simple to state.
1: Yeah. It's, it's
0: a very, there's nothing, there's nothing complicated about the concept, but the underlying concept is very complicated, it seems. Like the act, the idea hot water freezes quicker than cold, but maybe it doesn't, but who knows, is, you know, a, a child can understand this. And in fact, a child did understand it in my specific case.
1: Right. Yeah, how many things can be stated in uh, elementary school science fair terms but turn out to be incredibly complex yeah. to analyze? Well, is
0: it like the appeal that the math's equivalent of that is Fermat's last theorem, which...
1: But even that, that's like uh, high school level math to understand the I, No, I'd say like exponents. middle school
0: level to understand the concepts because it's basically mm. one level up from Pythagoras' theorem and just you can understand that. If you, once you understand that, if you know what squaring and cubing is, you can understand. Right, right. But to have something that even high school level can a high school student can understand the question but it took several centuries of the best mathematical minds and eventually someone using just the most up-to-date 20, 20th century mathematics to solve it, like it again it's something I, I think that sits in that be- like real sweet spot for scientists and mathematicians of something where it seems simple but it just opens up this world of complexity
1: I guess you could also argue that there are a lot of questions that are easy to state that are super complicated. Like what is the meaning of life? But yeah, but yeah. Yes, that's a, or I was just picturing for some reasons, someone seriously asking like, will we ever figure out why you keep hitting yourself as he's like holding someone down and making them hit themselves <laughs> with their own hand? Why are you hitting yourself? posed in elementary school, never answered.
0: So it says it might, it might seem sensible to assume that a lower starting temperature would provide an insurmountable head start. In a straightforward race down the thermometer, the hot object would first have to reach the original temperature of the warm object, suggesting that a higher temperature could only add to the cooling time. But in certain cases, that simple logic is wrong, specifically for systems that are not in a state of thermal equilibrium, in which all parts have reached an even temperature. So here we go. For such a system, its behavior is no longer characterized just by temperature. So according to Bechtoffer, hmm. the materials behavior is too complicated for a single number to describe it. As the beads cooled, they weren't in thermal equilibrium, meaning their locations in the potential energy landscape weren't distributed in a manner that would allow a single temperature to describe them. For such systems, rather than a direct path from hot to cold, there can be multiple paths from chili- to chilliness, allowing for potential shortcuts. For the beads depending on Depending on the shape of the landscape, starting at a higher temperature meant they could more easily rearrange themselves into a configuration that matched a lower temperature. Here we are. I like this analogy that makes it make a lot more sense. Uh, it's like how a hiker might arrive at a destination more quickly by starting further away if that starting point allows the hiker to avoid an arduous climb over a mountain.
1: Okay.
0: So, ah. So basically, because... You, uh, so this sort of beaker of water in the original experiment even though your thermometer goes okay this is 80 degrees this is 40 this is 60 degrees this is 40 degrees whatever but it is not the heat distribution the energy distribution is not a uniform thing and so potentially the hotter water the arrangement of the, the energy in that might allow it to take a quicker route to cooling that doesn't involve going through the exact same state as the beaker that's at 60 degrees is. So it's not going through an identical point. It's, it's essentially taking a different path to, to cooling down.
2: It's not having to pass the longhorn sheep.
0: Right, exactly. Because <laughs> right. it's yeah. starting from further away and rather right. than Andy and his friends who were surprised by the sheep, the one that's further away can kind of go like, oh, there's, there's some animals there. We should take the path that goes around them rather than yeah. you've got the perspective.
1: Speaking it's, of which, I just sent you the video if you want to see the, uh, I just, the bighorn.
0: Oh, I'll bounce that onto Lynn as well. We'll put it, a link to it on the show notes. Um, I can do this while we talk. So, Lou and physicist Oren Rantz had previously speculated, uh, predicted that such cooling shortcuts were possible. And it's nice to see that it actually works, says Raz of the Wiseman Institute of Science in Israel. But he notes, we don't know whether this is the effect in water or not. Water is more complex, including the quirks of impurities in the water, evaporation, and the possibility of supercooling, in which the water is liquid below the normal freezing temperature. But the simplicity of the study is part of its beauty, says theoretical physicist Marja Vucelida of the University of Virginia. It's one of these very simple setups and is already rich enough to show this effect. That suggests that the Mabepa effect could go beyond glass beads or water. I would imagine this effect appears quite generically in nature elsewhere. We just haven't paid attention to it.
1: That's amazing. Uh, isn't that?
0: I, I like that as a sort of story to finish off on. Yeah. I'm just sending it's you man, I'm sending you the mind. picture of the, uh, the video that Andy took as well. Oh, cool. Texting that to
2: you. What I like is that you can understand that stuff, which is so complicated, but you cannot pronounce not one single name.
0: <laughs> not I, one. I never have. Never have in the, what is it, seven years we've been doing this show now? Getting on eight years? Not, not once. Very simple. Someone could, if they were sufficiently inclined, put together a supercut of me butchering all manner of names from all manner of countries, oh, including some it. quite simple names from the country I'm from. <laughs> we, we, we even got a correction in, over Twitter from one of our listeners that we mentioned last week. Listener... Kaya was the correct pronunciation of the two different attempts that I made.
1: Oh, not to mention the um, listener correction about learning through osmosis and what the correct um, material science analogy would be for that.
0: Yes, we did. That was that was sent in because we were talking about learning stuff in your sleep.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which we know is bullshit. It was a joke, but yeah.
0: Yes, and I also... I am okay with, hang on, where is the email? It's
1: Emily Cooper wrote in to say, it'd be more correct to label that form of learning passive diffusion, which is the movement of molecules or information in this case, based solely on a concentration gradient with no assistance or energy being used. So if you want to remember, diffusion is movement from high concentration to low concentration due to the presence of a concentration gradient. Passive diffusion is that same thing with no energy or assistance, like falling asleep to the science channel. Um, Facilitated diffusion is that with the help, same thing with the help of a protein carrier or channel active transport is movement from high concentration to low with the use of ATP or other energy molecules. And then osmosis finally is the movement of water through a semipermeable, semipermeable membrane from high concentration to low concentration.
0: But I'm okay with that. Cause I think water is the kind of, I, I think knowledge is the water of words.
1: <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> can you make I like a poster? That. That? Yeah. yeah that up. And just, yeah
0: pick a poster of that with like a, you know, a seagull and uh and a dolphin and put it in that garfield sort of white writing hanging
2: onto a wall on a picture p- of garfield hanging onto a wall
0: <laughs> right and <laughs> emily also finishes by saying uh i uh, hope you're all well which we are and also is she's envious of andy's covid living situation out in it the ain't deserts.
1: all it's cracked up to be it's nice but it's weird yeah.
0: and it and asked me to give doug a scratch which has happened
1: <laughs> thank you emily
0: Oh, by the way, what we're also talking about listeners' emails that we haven't hadn't got to in the past. Multiple people sent through the story about the other, the more recent attempted art restoration and butchering, and oh, yeah. I just, we it didn't get a chance to come up on the show, but I want you to know that I saw it, I very much enjoyed it, but it's still, nothing will come close to the original, both in terms of <laughs> level of butchery and just the sheer joy of the story, because the sheer naivety and beauty of the, you're aware of the the story I'm talking about, the original Lynn right, the the woman in Italy who took oh. it upon herself to improve or to restore the fresco <laughs> of Jesus and ended up with some sort of bandaged monkey looking thing. Oh my god I love that though, it does give me faith in humankind. Oh it's such a beautiful story and the, the, the loveliest kicker to that story is the fact that that church and that town were both going through a period of economic decline that was <laughs> partly reversed by I don't know what you call it, irony tourism?
1: <laughs> yeah. uh, mocking, mocking tourism?
0: Yeah. yeah, about enough people coming to visit this fresco on the wall, this destroyed painting. It's just that, That's the beautiful kicker to the story, the fact that when the woman was interviewed she both didn't understand what the fuss was about and was annoyed that people weren't more grateful at her having taken, <laughs> saved the church money by having done this for free.
2: Uh, but it's a universal thing though, don't you think? Like everybody has done that thing where they've tried to improve something and made it worse. Yes. Like, and it's just—it it totally is not done it. The thing that makes that. it
0: so glorious, though, is the fact that it. I think is the fact that she, even after it happened, because normally if <laughs> if one of us does that and it just gets worse, then you have to be like, oh, "Honey, yeah. I'm sorry. I was trying to do some DIY and like we need uh, we need to buy some new picture frames now <laughs> and and a new wall." But the fact that she. Like, even after it happened, she was... It, it It flies into that doing the wrong thing for the best of intentions, but also just that <laughs> fully, even after the fact, being like, you're welcome.
1: <laughs> yeah, I
2: love that. I love that. That gives me even... Like, I like it more because she did that, you know? Yep. Um, and actually, she may think it's better than the original, that what she's done is better and she's, than the original. And it turns out she's kind of right,
0: because it... Even art critics were saying this was not a particularly prized.
1: Right, it wasn't even that old. It was like 150 years old or something. Yeah,
0: it wasn't that old. It wasn't that prized. This wasn't like, it wasn't like she sort of painted over some classic, uh, you know, or
2: something. Yeah, like
0: exactly. It's not. It, she hasn't destroyed some masterpiece. She's just. It, it was a fine painting in a in a, in a little church and she she's restored it to something that is i'd say she has created a masterpiece and i will <laughs> i will defend her to my dying day
2: <laughs> didn't the romans do that though as well wasn't there a lot of the romans did that or it was like it happened where um, people would just build something over something else going no i've got another better version there's a church in rome actually that is three churches maybe even four all in one site, where the first church was built there and then the next guys that came along went, "Man, I'm not really that fond of that church. So I'm just going to build another layer to it and it'll be better. And then these other guys are like, no, well, you know, now we're different, am going to build another church. And I think that even the religions changed in the building of the church. but um So it all has different styles. And it's like, what makes it interesting is that as people came along, they were like, "Well." don't really like that one. I'm going to like build something else. I can't remember what it's called, but there are a lot of things to see in Rome. um, And that is one of the best things because you're like, God, even through history, people are jerks. (laughs) Right. I
0: think
1: Um, Angkor, Angkor Wat might be the same thing with, it changed hands between Buddhist and Hindu leaders for a while. So I think it got changed with each of those incarnations a bit.
0: We have to wrap up in a second, but Lynn, are you okay sticking around for another few minutes just to do a, a Patreon bonus story for our Patreon sure. patrons? Sure, sure. Well, but in the meantime, for the regular episode, Lynn, where can our listeners find out more about you and everything you're doing, including your new show?
2: Well, the new show I have to be secret about right now because we're still doing. Copy that. Um, but, it should, yeah, but it should be on Comedy Bureau soon, but I can't really talk about it um i am all about you tell that's where it's all about story or you can find me on the twitter which is i am lynn fergie um but you tell yours is a good place because that's all about story and lynn fergie if you just want to chat to me about penguins or <laughs> the chickens
0: yeah you you do some amazing work both as a storyteller yourself but particularly with other storytellers and and yeah, even with you. just members of the public sort of getting their stories out of them and using that to help them.
2: The thing with story is that when you. Well, I can't. It's, it's a nightmare. Story is one of those words where pe- everybody has an idea of what it is, but it is a different word to. You know what? It's like the version with the glass beads. That's what it is. It's simple, but it's complicated, but it's simple. <laughs> um, the thing with what i work in mostly is narrative which is the basically the story that's going on in everybody's head uh, all the time so each person has a different story in their head um that they're running and they think that everybody else can hear and nobody else can which is why a whole load of fighting and stuff happens because um, for some people they're in the mary tyler moore show and then other people are in hamlet and <laughs> it can get really complicated so and it's funny because there is a, a a nightmare that actors have about showing up uh, and going on stage and everyone else is doing a different play. <laughs> and actually in life people do that a lot right. Uh, They wander into a room and they're like, whoa. Even the tiniest
0: interactions, just like, you you know, two cars pulling into the same parking lot. Like everyone, we're both in our own little, we're both in our own play. We're both running different movies.
2: Totally. There's a thing I call the doorway. Have I told you this? The doorway. Which is that, um, like, so I was in my studio. Mark had rented out my studio, right? My husband had rented out my studio and I was mad at him because I don't, I like to have my things where my things are. And I'd been away and he'd let someone in the studio and they'd left stuff in the trash can. And so when I opened the trash can, all these fruit flies flew out, right? So there's all these tiny little flies. And I was like, God damn it. And um, so I'm trying to kill off the fruit flies because I've got a client arriving, a new client coming to the studio who I'm trying to impress. And I'm like, nobody listens to me. Nobody listens to me. They come in here, they dump their trash. You know, I'm all angry and these flies are going everywhere. And then um, there's a knock on the door of the studio and Arthur, my dog starts barking. So now I'm in a hurry. Um, I'm trying to kill the fruit flies. The dog is barking. I am angry and I am resentful. And I open the door and there's a guy standing there and he's holding flowers that my sister has sent from the UK. And he has come to the door thinking, well, these flowers could be for a birthday or for a death or an apology or a celebration. But I know that these, bir- these flowers are coming here because there is a story attached. So he is there hopeful that it's a good story. And I am on the other side of the doorway like, God damn it, everybody <laughs> hates my guts, right? In life, that happens a lot. Often when we go into a conversation with people, one person is there holding flowers and the other person is bubbling up with resentment from another story right so when you work on narrative you can work out what story you're in and also hear what other stories other people are in and and that's why i really like working in it but then and the nature of writing story is that you construct these pieces um to make a shape you know um like into a three-act or five-act structure. So rather than like, um, you you would you would take a story from the point of view of the flower guy, and give him a beginning, a middle, and an end. You know, or from, you know, me in the studio, and a beginning, and a middle, and an end. And all forms of uh, entertainment are basically just structures around narratives, which is what I like doing.
0: That's awesome um so yeah go to go to you tell, you tell yours.com i should say and then at lynn fergie on twitter you can find us probably science.com that's where i we link to all of the stories we cover the show notes also our donation buttons for patreon and paypal you can find us on twitter at probably science individually at andy t wood and at matt kershon probably science at gmail.com is the email address to send us any stories questions comments clarifications and anything else you want to tell us Thank you so much for joining us, Lynn. Yeah, thanks Lynn. And, uh, thank you for having me.